Hey, so we're starting a new series today on the Lord's Prayer, which is a series that we've done before at the Gospel Tab, uh, but we're pulling it out again for the last half of the summer. Um, And I'm so glad for that for some reasons. It's just been a really foundational thing for us and for the Church of Jesus in general, right? I was at um, one of our sister networks, and the Greenhouse Network has these sister networks now in other cities. And I was uh, in Kansas City, and they had asked me to lead some prayer stuff. And they were like, one thing we know about the Greenhouse Network is you guys lean hard into prayer as your way of being together and as your way of being on mission. And, um, and they were like, so how do you do it? Teach us how to do it. I was like, the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> Hopefully we're not innovating beyond the Lord's Prayer, right? Okay, so we're going to be, we're going to be in Matthew 6 um, today together, and we'll read the Lord's Prayer together in just a second. But friends, these times, this season's feeling so precious to me. Mosaic, thank you for being with us again, and friends, we love you guys, thank you for being with us. Um, uh, these, these weeks are feeling more and more precious to me, because if you're part of the Gospel Tab family, then you know that September 11th, if you were in church last Sunday, Michael, who's our lead elder, announced that September 11th will be my last Sunday as lead pastor here at the Gospel Tab. So we are nearing this transition. In many ways, this transition has been playing out for a couple of years now. There's a sense in which it couldn't have gone slower. Um, On the other hand, You know, we made a big announcement at the beginning of this year, and it's taken us about this long to get to this point. And I just want to point out to the Franklin Avenue campus that you have some leadership team members. Our church is led by a team of wonderful men and women um, uh, that lead along with our pastoral staff. And a couple of them, you have three of them who are regularly in attendance here. One isn't here today. John Weber isn't here today. Uh, but he is one of your leaders. He loves you. Henry Hart here is a leader in our church, and then Teresa, who ministered to us. And worship, and your word, Teresa, was so on point today. And we're going to end up uh, in a worshipful place here again, um, just encountering the Lord together. But your leadership team members are available, and they're engaging a process with our district leaders uh, to identify this next season of leadership for the Gospel Tab. And I've been telling all of you, you're not going to see me on Sunday mornings. If you're engaged in our network at all, you'll see me plenty. But you're not going to see me on Sunday mornings for a few months because um, I need to spend some time in some of our other district churches um, preaching and encouraging some of the pastors and leaders in those other churches in western Pennsylvania. But around Christmas time, you'll probably start seeing me circle, circle back through and we keep saying it. I feel like people in our church keep saying it. The leadership team keeps saying it. Our district superintendent keeps saying it. But Gospel Tab family, you are going to be fine. You really are. Um, for us, it has always been about his presence, at least in this season. It has always been about his presence in our midst. And as long as you stay near to God, you're going to be fine. You know? um, for us, it's never been about a personality or a voice, or a leader. That's why I've never, you know, preached more than half of Sundays here. Um, Because we just never wanted it to be about that. We never wanted to build a church, you know, based off of that. And you haven't. You you have built this place, family, on Jesus' presence in our midst. And you're not going to lose that. There's no reason Jesus is going to stop showing up, right, in your gatherings. He loves you. 
And so he's, he's going to be here. Speaking of, love is where the Lord's prayer begins. And so um, let's read it together. We're going to read Matthew's version. Um, so in Luke, the way Luke sets up the Lord's prayer, it's commonly known as Lord's prayer, is that Jesus' disciples come to him after a time of prayer. So he's been in prayer. And they come to him and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. That's interesting because they saw something in Jesus' prayer life that they wanted, right? So he was often going off by himself. I imagine like the disciples hanging out and all of a sudden it's like, where's Jesus? And they're all laughing and he's off praying, right? And somehow they, they'd come to watch. I imagine waking up early in the morning and seeing him pray. They'd come to see Jesus pray and there was something in that they wanted, which is interesting to me because I've been in a lot of prayer environments. I'm sure you have too, where I didn't leave thinking, I want what they have. You know what I mean? But Jesus' disciples saw him pray and thought, we want what he has, like whatever he had. That tells me that whatever, whatever Jesus' prayer life was like, that it was engaged and it was full of life, there was a sense of the authenticity of it, right? And they wanted so they asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. It's a good question to ask. And it's a good question to keep asking because all of us are preschoolers in prayer, right? There's none of us here who are experts in prayer. To be an expert in prayer, right, um, is an oxymoron because prayer fundamentally, right, is about embracing our weakness in a radical way before God right, and anticipating that he will meet us in that place. So if we come like the religious leaders of Jesus' day did, thinking we're experts in prayer, the scriptures suggest that God doesn't hear that kind of praying very much. So, in fact, that's the context of Matthew. When Jesus gives this teaching in Matthew, among the other things that he's talking about, he's talking, he's critiquing the way that some religious leaders put their religious life on display for others to see, right? So that they can receive um, praise. So, this is how Jesus taught us to pray. And we often, you know, there's plenty of settings. I would say, I don't know if all of you, I, probably all of you weren't in church last Sunday for our combined service, but I know it was saying it wasn't. But um, I was saying that Sunday mornings, you know, as a, this year our church turns 106 years old or something like that. Um, you know, we were born out of these revivals, and those revivals were kind of marked by uh, spontaneity. And we've kind of come to own that on Sunday mornings, right? For us, that's a connection to our history, right? So we came out of that. But we've learned lots of things, like from our friends here at Celebration. I was telling you all last Sunday, if you were in church, that our staff on Monday mornings, because we're tired of being spontaneous, because that's what we're called to do in this gathering, um, we just want to, like, read prayers, right? And so that's what we do on Mondays. And every Monday, your staff reads the Lord's Prayer in unison, among other things. That's a great thing to do. Um, it's an appropriate thing to do. Um, but we have also found that in the Lord's Prayer is every kind of prayer, kind of prayer that we could possibly engage. And so it's really become the template for all of our prayer gatherings, even our spontaneous prayer gatherings. Let me let, me let you in on, like, a Gospel Tab secret. If you really understand the Lord's Prayer, even in our spontaneous prayer gatherings where we're allowing the Spirit to move and people are prophesying, you will find the Lord's Prayer in the background of that whole gathering, right? For the leaders who are leading that gathering, this is what's in our background. This is how we lead every prayer meeting, right? Is to go back to the Lord's Prayer whether we recite it together or not. That being said, we are going to recite it together. So if you would 
read it with me, Matthew 6, 9 through 13. This, then, is how we should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. one phrase today. Our Father in Heaven. You know, St. Augustine said that all true prayer really is just love. Our Father in Heaven is Jesus's invitation for us to begin all prayer in love. Particularly His love for us. Right? His love extended to us. It's profound because a lot of what we call prayer, a lot of what we do as prayer really is not love. It's not rooted in his love. And I have found that that kind of praying will wear you out so quickly. Um, and for us, I think there was something in us, if I can just speak to like the, and like, I've been really reflective on just the origins of this season with the Gospel Tab and then the Emerging Greenhouse Network and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I look back, and I've often said this, that if you dig anywhere in our network, whether it's in McKeesport or Midland or here or wherever in the city of Pittsburgh or whatever, what you'll really find first is a movement of prayer. It was the beginning for us largely out of desperation and mission. That's what led us to prayer, was desperation. But can I tell you something? I, I remember being in the early prayer meetings in this room, you know, interceding for our communion. It's been over, well over 10 years ago. And I, I, I think we've discovered even since then, even desperation and mission will not sustain 15 years of praying. Because even that gets exhausting. Even that gets tired, right? Like, because to pray for our neighbors, we have to think about our neighbors, and sometimes our neighbors stress me out, right? <laughs> and, so, and, so, and so sometimes, sometimes we get worn out even on that kind of praying. Sometimes just in our selfishness, we don't, we don't have what it takes, right? But here's what will sustain a movement of prayer that sustains a movement of mission is the love of God. And for a people to learn to stay at home in the love of God, uh, people who learn how to receive the love of God, people who learn to pray the love of God, people who learn how to let the love of God manifest in the room, right? I think we've learned that will sustain a missional movement, right? Um, and I, I don't think this is going to happen, but I can predict if at any point our movement becomes something other than learning to receive from him in prayer, we will not last any more now than we did when we started 15 years ago, right? Um, it's in receiving his love that we have something to give to the world, right? I find it phenomenal in the Lord's Prayer that Jesus taught us to start in relationship. Just think about this. If you and I were to write the Lord's Prayer, um, or if we were teaching people how to pray instead of Jesus, right? we would probably tell them, like, start with forgiveness, right? Ask for forgiveness first. Come to God that way. Like, 
humble yourself and come low and ask for forgiveness. Or start by asking for your needs, which is what a lot of prayer meetings really are, right? We just kind of launch into praying for our daily bread, for everything we need. Or, I don't know, for some of y'all, I might be like, you need to start with deliverance. Right? <laughs> like, like, just start there. Ask for some deliverance first, right? Like, we would expect, I mean, isn't that what you would think, especially since this one delivers the translation of that is right here, people one. Especially since this involves the demonic, um, you would think Jesus would be like, why don't you deal with this one first, and then come me, right? Instead, he invites you and me just to come through this door of relationship, our Father in heaven, Right? To position ourselves as children who receive his love. Long before our demons are dealt with. Yeah. Right? Long before we have dealt with all of our forgiveness issues or received forgiveness. He asks us just to come and to position ourselves as children who have a father who perfectly loves them. It is true, friends. God could not love you more or less than he loves you right now. There's, And this is especially important to remember. There's... There's no amount of praying you could do. You can't pray yourself more into God's love for you. He loves you whether you pray to him or not. He loves you whether or not you're faithful on mission. He loves you whether or not you do everything right. He just loves you. And positioning ourselves in that place is the beginning of all prayer. Which is interesting because it means that praying does not start with the words that we offer to him. right? But with the love that we receive from him. Anything else, a prayer that starts anywhere else, right, for us individually or corporately, is really about performance. And it's an intimacy killer, right? You and I can't, can't really experience God's love in prayer when prayer is driven by our guilt, right? Think about that, like... If I, if I like, tried to spend time with Chelsea just out of a sense of, like, duty or something, right? Like, out of guilt, like, oh, i got to spend time with you this week because I didn't. That, that's not the deepest level of intimacy that we're trying to get to, right? Um, guilt is an intimacy killer, right? Um, performance is an intimacy killer. Some of the theologians, like, different theological schools have different ways of saying the same thing, that God's love has to go first. Right? That God's love always goes first. Just in the fact that God is a self-revealing God. If God did not reveal himself to us, and he does love to reveal himself to us, but if he did not reveal himself to us, you could argue that we wouldn't know anything about him. Right? It's his love that revealed himself to humanity. It's his love that always goes first. Some theologians call that prevenient grace. It means that his love is always first. Our Father in heaven is a way to say that all true prayer starts with him, not with us. It starts with what he extends to us and what we receive, right? Anything else makes prayer all about us and not about him. Makes it about our performance, our trying, our whatever, right? Instead of his love. Now, I have found over the years, every time I talk about this, I reflect just some on my story. But I have found that all spiritual growth, which is going to be rooted in the life of prayer, but all spiritual growth, all of it, um, uh, really is about our capacity to receive his love. Isn't it interesting that in Genesis, even the threat of punishment 
from God, right? Eat of this fruit and you will surely die. That threat is true. The threats found in God's law are true, right? We live apart from God's law, right? The punishment for that is death, right? It's true what God said. Eat of this fruit, you will die. And yet, even that threat, even that true threat, is somehow not enough motivation for people not to sin, right? The threats of punishment turn out to be ineffective in leading to the holy life, right? Friends, my testimony, I think you find this in the Word of God, but it's my testimony too, that the only thing that leads to holy living is a deeper experience of the love of God. The only thing that leads to more effectiveness in mission is a deeper experience of the love of God, right? It's about what we receive and then God can do through us what he's done in us. It's why some of our mentors in prayer in the early years, and we had some good mentors, good mentors in prayer. But some of our early mentors in prayer taught us this prayer, Lord, heal our receptors. Whatever's in us that doesn't allow us to fully receive your love, whatever's in us that blocks a deeper experience of your love, whatever's in us that causes unbelief so that we doubt your love, heal those things in us so that we can receive your love more and more. That has everything to do with being able to sustain in prayer and be on mission. It is true, friends, that missional movement cannot happen without a people who have found a home in fervency in prayer. It's interesting that, um, you know, in the history of the church, there have been whole seasons, and you'll understand what I'm saying, there have been whole seasons in the history of the church where God's people did not have the written word of God in their hands, right? Um, either because it wasn't available or because they existed in context where there's persecution. Some of the most rapid, some of the places in the world today where the church is growing most rapidly are places where the word of God in people's hands is still hard to come by, Right? Now, I'm not putting down the scriptures at all. We love to say at the Gospel Tab, we're Bible people, and we'll own that, right? We love the scriptures because Jesus is the Word of God, right? So we love the Bible. We read it. We understand it. We submit our feelings and desires to it. We believe it's essential, right, for our growth. And yet, in church history, you can find whole periods of time where people didn't have the Word of God in their hands, but they did have prayer. And missional movements still happen. I would say you can also find periods of time in Scripture where the people of God had the Word of God in their hands, but they had not prayer. <laughs> and missional movement did not happen, right? So we have to be a praying people. But to just lock ourselves in a room, I always say this, some of you have heard me say this before, but just to lock ourselves in a room and try to pray harder or something is for, like, a, that's making a miserable experience, right, following Jesus. And that's exactly how we started here in Alcoba. Listen, I, I get people in this room, I'm like, I remember saying this to people, I was 20 years old, I'm like, we're going to get in this room, and listen, let me tell you what you're going to do, you're going to pray. And you're going to pray hard. I remember telling people, prayers work, right? Like, and it's true, we'd be on our faces pleading for our neighbors, right, in this room. Um, but we were also getting more and more tired. Right? More and more exhausted. Powerless out in the streets. Exhausted in here. And thank God we learned early on, right? That that was not going to sustain whatever it is that God was calling us to. I was thinking about the development of this. Our Father in Heaven in my own life. There's two pictures just in my own life that I can remember. You know, when I was growing up, 
home was hard. And we had a back porch. Um, I always think of it in the summer because it was this screened-in back porch. And I can remember stepping out of our air-conditioned house. There was like a sliding door. And stepping onto the back porch and like the humidity like, you know, hitting you. But we had these rockers. Actually, for those of you who have been on my back porch, it's the two rockers that are on my back porch. It's crazy because I first, I started to pray in those chairs. And somehow they're still with me. Um, Right? So they're on my back porch. But I used to sit there and, you know, (laughs) rock. (laughs) And I'm still kind of like this. Yeah, Yeah, that's why. It's those rockers. (laughs) Here they are, right? But I used, to, I used to sit in those, and man, I wouldn't have had language for it then, because there, there was a lot of hard things going on at home, I just didn't have language for it. But I do remember Jesus meeting me, and just being in his presence. And I'll tell you what, in recent years, God has brought to mind some of the things that I prayed. I was a teenager. Some of the things I prayed in those chairs as a teenager. And it's just been kind of tapping me on the shoulder and being like, hey, do you see I did that? Like, I was listening to you. Do you see? Like, I did the thing you prayed. It wasn't how I expected. And if you're like me, half the things I pray for, when I'm worried, I forget about later on, right? And Jesus is still like, I'll remember, I'll remember, right? And I'll still answer. You moved on, I didn't, right? Um, Because that's what his love is like, right? There was something about the experience of prayer that was just about communion with his love. I did ask for things. But that wasn't even the point, really, right? It was just being with him. Now, that was kind of one experience. The other was, and the picture in my mind here is I went to a Christian college, and we had prayer rooms on our, on our dorm. Did you have prayer rooms? In the dorm? I did. Uh, probably not as many of in Christian college. Oh, yeah. All right, so <laughs> we had prayer rooms in our college, which meant like a dorm room with some musty couches in it that you could go in and pray. It always smelled bad in there. But I'd go in there. With my prayer list, you know, I, in my notebook, this list of things I was supposed to pray for. And what I remember there, I don't know what happened to me, or what I thought prayer was supposed to be, or where I thought I was falling short, or my own wounds that misinterpreted things that people had taught me. But I just remember getting into that room and it being so high pressure and so guilt-driven, and so I could never pray long enough, and so I could never get through the list, and did I pray thoroughly enough, and did I come into this room enough, and, you know, all of those kinds of thoughts going through me. In other words, it was all about me. The entire time I was in there, right, was all about me. Now, those are kind of like two pictures of prayer in my life, right? One that just had to do with being with him. And him being with us. And this, as the word was used in worship, this kind of unrushed nature of God. That he just loves to be with us. That somehow he's not nearly in as much of a rush as we are. Right? That he's just happy to be with us. Our Father and him. Happy to be with us. Right? And then this other thing that was all driven by guilt and, and all of these other things. Somehow... There was enough healing of the receptors over time. Lots of people prayed for me. Lots of counseling and lots of things happened in my life that better positioned me, right, to be able to receive God's love for me, right, um, and to be at home in that place. I hope that's what happens for you too, friends, especially if prayer is exhausting for you. God did not give us this thing called prayer to wear you out. 
Um, he gave it to you to sustain you. Our Father in heaven. Right? I've watched the love of God in prayer totally transform whole atmospheres. This morning as I was praying for our gathering, I, I, this memory came to my mind. But um, I remember being in India, and some of you have heard parts of this story. But I was in India, if you know anything of our story, uh, watching some multiplying movement in Southeast Asia had a big impact on the way we think and what God is doing among us. But I was in India at, at one point, and uh, we met with these pastors who had gathered from all over the country for this prayer meeting, and we're going to be teaching them some stuff about prayer. And I just remember the meeting fell flat, just totally dead. Like, as a matter of fact, there were two pastors sitting in the back. They were making fun of us while we talked. I just thought, oh my gosh, this is a disaster. Like, we flew all the way over here, and these pastors are, like, not receiving what we have to give. Well, that night, there was a bigger meeting, and their wives joined in, right? And just the way things are in that part of India, the men sit in one section, the women sit in another section for the worship services. Well, my friend preached on the filling of the Spirit, and I've never seen, like, 400, 500 women run to the front to receive the filling of the Holy Spirit. And to this day, it's one of the few times God's presence has manifested in such a way in the room. For a second, I felt like I was in danger. For a second, I was like, oh my gosh, we could die. Right? right? The way God's love just fire is filling these, these women. There was a spatial quality to it. It was almost like you could put your hand in and out of it. One of the most bizarre experiences of my life. Demons are coming out of people and people are getting healed and they're encountering the spirit. All this stuff at the end, we're like, what happened, right? Well, the next morning, the guys are back in the room and I, I'm thinking, man, like yesterday when we met with you guys, it was terrible, but whatever happened last night was great. Like what's going to happen today, right? And you know what? I, I don't know. I was traveling with a friend who I learned a lot from in creating prayer environments. But I think at that point, if it had just been me, I wouldn't have started in our father. I think I would have started. And this has become a thing for us in leading people in prayer. Like no matter what, start in our father. Because if you don't start there, right, then we're not really praying. As a matter of fact, more and more, we never leave that space. <laughs> we just kind of stay there and we find that God gives us our daily bread. Amen. And we receive forgiveness and we receive deliverance, right? Just by being in the presence of his love. But back then, where I was in my development, man, I would have, if I had the money, I would have ripped into those guys. Right? And I'd have been like, did you see your wives last night? Did you see them receiving those? And, and you're the pastors? I would have been like, you know what I mean? I would have like ripped into, I, it would have felt righteous to motivate them by shame. Right? But guys, this is what the Pharisees did. A friend of mine recently said to me that shame was the shortcut of the Pharisees. Right? It was a shortcut to impact. It was a shortcut in their minds. It was a shortcut to what they viewed as ministry effectiveness, right? And still, because I grew up in church, some of you grew up in church, and we get used to using that shortcut. You can get people to do some things, right? Instead of just like sitting in the love of God, even on things like mission and justice. I go back and I look at my early sermons on mission and justice, guilt trip, right? I'm just guilt tripping the room. Like, you don't do enough, you don't care about the poor, you don't, you know what I mean? Because it can feel righteous, right? right? And our culture, oh, our culture loves to deal in the language of righteously motivated shame, right? 
We do it in our debates all the time. Out of a sense of righteousness, I get to shame you. Right? Out of a sense of what's right, I get to make you feel. Well, that's what I would have done that day. You and my friend did. He got he gets up and he preaches this message on the love of God. I'm like, yo. I'm like, listen. I'm like, listen, these guys are making fun of us yesterday, right? And I'll be on my memory is fuzzy. I want to embellish the story. I don't even remember how we got from point A to point B, but I'll tell you where the meeting ended. It ended with all of these pastors up front crushing. These are poor pastors, very little money, crushing their cell phones underneath their feet because they're repenting of pornography. Right? And we're we're into this part of the prayer now. Forgive us our debts. Right? God is restoring people and there's weeping. And some of our mentors in prayer taught us that when repentance starts in the room, stop everything and do that mm-hmm. until yeah. it's done. Right? And so we did. We stopped everything and we did that. Gave it its space. But we got there by the love of God. Not by pharisaical shame. <laughs> right? Not by preaching harder. Right? Not by, like, just by holding out the love of God to be, by welcoming the love of God into an atmosphere. Jake, if you could come play. I'm going to wrap up here. And we're actually going to, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Um, so some of our mentors in prayer, they had, um, they had a mentor in prayer who really impacted them. He passed away before uh, we were ever in these prayer circles. Um, but we heard about him all the time. They're always mentioning this guy. He's actually a Lutheran pastor that got filled with the Spirit, and um, in the background, no, no one will ever really know the name of this guy, but when Billy Graham was holding his first crusade in Los Angeles, this is kind of the untold story, when he was holding his first crusade in Los Angeles, the beginning of all those thousands and thousands of people coming to faith in Jesus, this guy, this Lutheran pastor, was holding a, a 1,000-person prayer meeting across the street. <laughs> And that went on for all of Billy Graham's, for all of Billy Graham's ministry. This, this guy, whose name never really was known, never got out there, never, like, he was, he was the one leading the prayer environments, right? It's been true in our experience. Friends, here in Aliquippa, there has been nothing more correlated to people coming to faith in Jesus Christ and being baptized in water. And we have had some phenomenal baptisms up in here, right? I mean, some amazing times of celebration. But I can tell you there's been nothing more correlated to that than intercessors on the floor weeping for the lost. But not just out of a sense of, like, duty or something, but out of having received the love of God. So this guy's like a giant in prayer. I don't know what his reward in heaven will be. He's like a giant in prayer. And um, one of our mentors in prayer one time asked him, so like, what's the secret? The, when you see someone who's like prayers get answered a lot, like someone who lays hands and like the sick get healed, don't we get this way? It's like, so what do you do? You know what I mean? Like, what do you say? What do you, like, we always say there's a secret to prayer. Here's the secret. Our Father. It's the secret of every effective intercessor. In many ways, it's the secret of every Every person who's effective in praying for the sick and seeing them healed is that they've learned to minister in the love of God. And it's the love of God that heals the sick. I don't know anyone who's effective in deliverance 
I know some people are really effective in deliverance, but here's what I know about their lives. They've learned to receive from the love of God, right? And demons end up being really powerless, yeah. right? In, in the presence of the love of God, right? Isn't it amazing that it's his love that disables them? Yes. It's his love that sends them away. It's yes. his love that, I wasn't gonna share a story, but I'm gonna share another story. But I, I'm, I'm being all circular, which is a lot like me. But anyway, a mentor of mine asked this, this giant in prayer, said, like, what's your secret? Like, what do you do? And you know what his answer was? He said, every morning I get up and then you'd expect, like, I pace the room and I pray in tongues and I pray the room and you'd expect that. You know what he said? Every morning I get up and as soon as my feet hit the floor, I open up my hands and I receive the love of God again. And he said, that's my secret, right? It's just I receive his love again. Oh, and this is, this is where God has, has called us to live our lives in, is to be people who receive. We probably need to do it more. Just learn how to sit in and receive his love, right? Especially those of us who are on mission. Because the attacks are real, the weariness is real, the disappointments are real, right? All that kind of stuff. The setbacks are real. But your mercies, oh Lord, are new every morning. Right? Can receive your love again. Um, Yeah, one time, I I wasn't going to share this story, but one time we were in Nepal, and this young woman... uh, this terrible demon kept manifesting in her during the meeting. And our mentors in prayer, by the way, the Nepalese church, which didn't even exist 60 years ago, not one known believer among Nepalese people, now it's one of the fastest growing churches in the earth, mostly being led by people in their 20s. Um, like crazy to be there, you know, among them. And they're, they're like, oh, the Americans can handle the demon. I'm like, uh. <laughs> I'm like, do you know what our churches are like? <laughs> Um, they're like this. So she's manifesting this terrible demon. One of the pastors we were traveling with is sitting in a chair. He's just on a phone call doing his business. Like He's like, you guys got it. And he keeps taking his call. I'm like, homie, come help us. <laughs> anyway, here's the deal. We were unsuccessful in casting the spirit out for us. It was really, I don't know if humiliating is the word, because at that point, we didn't even care what we looked like. Um, this poor girl like didn't get free. Oh, we wept that night. We wept in the morning. And I'll tell you this. We, we showed up ready to pick a fight the next day. We're like, we're going to start worshiping. This demon's going to manifest. We're going to pick a fight, and we're going to win this time, right, as we're all prayed up. And um, I, I don't know if I've ever shared this story with this much detail in front of people, but you can handle it. It's a little weird. Um, so we're in this room. This time, some of the Nepalese women came to join us. Thank God. You know what I mean? So, so we're like... You know, praying for deliverance, and everyone, you know, it's like in a movie, like, come out of her, and she's screaming, her father, her um, uncle was deep in the black magic and stuff, just really impressed, and um, in the middle of this, some of you know Steve, Rossi, um, Steve just like, he's like, stop, stop, everyone stop, and we just all stopped, and she's still there, and she's acting like a snake or something terrible, this demon's humiliating her. And we all stopped. There's a weird part of the story. I don't have an explanation for it. But this little feather dropped out of the ceiling. And he caught it in his hand, Steve. And he said, look, a feather. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was going to be something deeper than that. 
a feather. Um, and we turn and look at the girl, and um, the demon's gone. And she comes to faith. And it's like Jesus, it's like Jesus was like, what are y'all yelling about? <laughs> what, are y'all, what are y'all trying so hard? Like, why do you think this is? You know what I mean? Like, where you bring your best and your best ministry plans and your best sermon and your best programs and your best, like, is that what this is? Right? Or guys, is this whole thing from beginning to end? Lord, I receive your love again today. Your love for me, your love for this young woman, your love that can cast out every demon, your love that can heal every sickness. Um, and it's love that leads us to hope. We sang about hope today. You know, I have, I, I, as my kids got older, I got away from this a little bit, but I was preparing this sermon. I got to get back to it. Many, many times I've looked at my kids, I have three kids, I've looked them in the eye and said, said, I love you when you're good and when you're bad, when you succeed and when you fail, when you win and when you lose. I just love you. Right? I want them to be secure in my love. And whatever I got to talk to them about, because I do got to talk to them about sometimes, but whatever I got to talk to them about, I don't want them to ever doubt my love for them. Right? Well, I was a mentor here in Alapapa in our program for a while, and aside from my own kids, there's only one other kid that I've said that to over and over again. And it's the kid that I mentored. And he's in his mid-20s now. And um, the other day he called me up to confess some things. And I'm not going to get into detail. But it was sad and scary. We were, we were sitting in a car. And what he told me both saddened me and really scared me. Some of what he shared with me. And I told him, I said, bro... You remember what I said to you all growing up? Like, I love you when you're good and when you're bad. I love you when you win and when you lose. I love you when you succeed and when you fail. And if we, being wicked, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more, right, does our Father in heaven, out of his love, give his spirit to us? I'm going to tell you something about the filling of the Holy Spirit. What a wonderful gift. And I'm so happy if you speak in tongues when that happens. And I'm so happy if you manifest laughter or crying or you end up on the floor. We love all those things. But let me tell you what the spirit of God filling you is really all about. It's activating the love of the Father in you. So that's not just about what you know about his love. But about how his love abides in you. How his love fills you flows out of you, how his love heals you, right? The spirit of God brings to us the love of the Father, right? Um, I picked up uh, a guy, and well, I I didn't pick him up. He asked me for a ride. I was in a hurry, too. I was buying, (laughs) Jesus is funny, the things he does, but I was buying communion supplies for a Tuesday night worship gathering. I was in a real hurry. (laughs) And, And and this guy in Dollar General asked me for a ride. I had no time because I had to get to communion. Right? And I give him, he's new to Aliquippa. I give him a ride up to VT. I bet he's come through the cafe already. And, um, and man, he's, in five minutes, he's telling me his story. And I'm just like, 
I don't know how to, where do you even start? I don't even, I don't even know. Early on, we used to think we could fix a city. What insanity. What insanity and mission, right? So I was just like, love of the Father, come on him, right? I don't know how the Spirit of God is speaking to you through all these like notes. I feel a little scattered today. I think God is saying something, at least to a number of different people. Um, I was sitting with one of my mentors who told me, I'll close with this, who told me uh, early on, he did urban ministry for like 40 years. He was like, Joel, you got to give up on trying to fix your city. Just love. Like that's, that's your role. It's just to love. And then let God do everything else. Anything else is going to wear you out. He told me that because I had asked him, how'd you make it 40 years? Because I meet like nobody who makes it 40 years in urban ministry. They either quit or they're still present, but they're a shell of who they used to be. And they're angry and cynical and worn out. And they're damaging people actually and kind of wish they would quit. Or they go down in the flames of sin. So I was like, how'd you make it like 40 years? And he was like, give up. I'm trying to change your sin. As soon as you give that up into the love of God, right? And let God's love, right, begin to fill you and flow out to people around you. But you know what he told me on Tuesday? We sat, uh, it was maybe Wednesday. We're, we're reading a commentary on Romans together right now, which sounds really boring, but I'm loving it. I'm loving doing this with God. And um, reading this commentary together, he said to me with tears in his eyes, he said, Joel, everything that's happening in your guys' movement, um, He's like, it happened to me over my lifetime, too. He said, I, I remember like when we discovered the gifts of the Spirit, when we discovered prayer, when we got on mission, got burdened for justice and racial reconciliation. He said, all of these things happened to me, too. And then the contemplative stream, which has been part of our story here at Celebration, we learned to pray just by receiving, right? We don't have to even have very many words, right? all that kind of stuff. And he said, I remember making my way through all of that too. And each time thinking, this is home. This is home. This is home. This is home. And he said with tears in his eyes, he said, Joel, I just want you to know, like, and this is why we need to be friends with people who are older than us. It's just this one thing. He said, I just want you to know, like, it's going to be okay. Right? It was like at this point, at 80, like, it's just okay. And from beginning to end, it was all about God's love. And all those things, sitting in silence and speaking in tongues and fasting and praying during the day and praying at night and engaging different styles of worship and all of these things. He was like, I look back on it and I'm like, okay, it was helpful, but it was never the thing. The thing was his love, right? Our Father. The thing was receiving his love, right? Um, The thing was receiving from his life again and again and again, right? That his life would become our life and fill us with all the fullness of Jesus, right? Friends, can you just close your eyes? Normally we would mobilize our prayer ministers, but I think we're going to stay together for a minute. And we're just going to let Jesus minister to us in the room. You know, a few of our leaders in the room, like Yara and Teresa and Henry, listening to the Lord too. If you need to be on the receiving end as a leader, then just stay there. I'm not like calling you up. All right. 
um, it's okay for you to receive. But let's just like listen because God might have some prophetic words, some pictures. I know we're already past when service should be over. You can leave whenever you want. But can we just center ourselves on Jesus for a moment? With all the authority I have, (laughs) just prophesy the love of God over you. He loves you. He loves you when you're good. He loves you when you win. He loves you when you lose. He loves you when you succeed. He loves you when you fail. You're going to experience all of these things in walking with Jesus. There's going to be days that feel like winning, days that feel like losing. There's going to be days that feel like failure. Man, when we we got baptized in water. We didn't expect that. There would be days that feel like failure. There's actually a mission with Jesus. There's a lot of days that feel like failure. In leadership, there's a lot of days that feel like failure. But he loves you. And this way. He loves you when you stayed up all night praying and fasting. He loves you when you didn't. <laughs> His love is just there for you. So Lord, minister your love in this place. We wait on